What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pestuch. I'm your host, and we have a treat for you today. Robin Black comes on the Active Life Podcast. And if you don't know who Robin Black is yet, you definitely will when this thing is over. Robin Black, in my mind, is the greatest martial arts commentator in the world. He breaks fights down like you've never seen. That's not why I had him on, though. The reason I had Robin on is because his his mindset around what it takes to make a fight, to take a fight, to put out quality content, to learn, to grow, to be immersed in something is intoxicating. I talked to him for an hour. It felt like five minutes and it could have been five hours if we both had the time to do that today. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal communicator and somebody who I believe everybody should be thinking of as a thought leader. One of the things he talks about on the podcast was that his Instagram account got taken down because of a copyright infringement issue with some video that he produced. And that other people in the MMA world were telling people to go follow him. People like Joe Rogan. People like professional championship, world championship fighters. People like us at Active Life. And that they were telling people to go follow him because the stuff he's doing is important to the MMA culture, to the martial arts world. What I told him on the podcast was that I actually believe that what his content does is far more important to world culture and the pursuit of excellence than it is to the MMA world. That's how good his stuff is. I can't wait for you to listen to this podcast. I can't wait to hear what you think of it. You've never heard a story like this one. The guy who went from being what he calls himself a D-list rock star to a professional fighter at age 36, first fight at age 39, And the reason that he became a professional fighter wasn't because he wanted to fight people. There was something else. And it's not what you expect. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to listen to the show. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal episode. It's the one I was the most nervous ever to record because of the level of preparation that he puts into things. I wanted to make sure that my preparation came across equally or at least noticeably as so. Without further ado, I'm going to get you to Robin Black. All right, so we got Robin Black on the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Robin. Hey, man, my pleasure. It's just, I I wanted to hang out and chat with you. And we don't know each other at all, or very well, anyways, outside of, see, you know, we haven't seen each other's face and hung out, and I wanted to chat. I, I'm, I'm excited to hang. I appreciate that. For, for those of you guys who are not, you know, really well familiarized with Robin, whether you are a fight fan or not, to me, following your account on Instagram is, is a totally immersive educational experience. You know, if you could be a fan of physics and love your account. You could be a fan of fighting and love your account. Thoughtfulness, like all these, it's, it's just so cool. So I'm very excited to talk to you about it. Uh, thank you, man. It's, it's been, it's such a neat time that we live in. Like you can literally, you know, I'm just kind of doing the things that I love and by doing them a lot, hopefully I get better at them. And then by getting better at them, if I share them, some people might like them. And then along the way you can go, Hey, this is sort of how I got better. And it just all kind of is making sense right now, but I'm almost 50. Like I've been working 
in martial arts and sharing of ideas for my whole life. And now it's just really starting to make sense and, and, and feel authentic to me. Isn't it crazy that you're almost 50 and the thing that's kind of set it off is this little social app that everyone thought was for kids when it started. Yeah, it's true. So the, my, if I, if I have sort of knowledge bases, my major is in martial arts and you know, the things that you'll learn from it, but I've developed a minor in technology and media and communication because you know, the natural place for me to work over the last number of years was television. I talk about fighting, I put on a suit, I stand in a very lit up studio somewhere in Toronto or elsewhere in the world and I talk about fighting. And that's that's how somebody, I'm not a guy who works in TV who's been asked to talk about martial arts. I'm an obsessive martial artist who analyzes martial arts for a passion, who the way to make my living around that was to work in television. So the, as TV changed, Radio later became TV, which later kind of became YouTube, which morphed into social media. YouTube feels old now in, in many ways, in, in many ways. Um, and so you better learn about that stuff. Uh, and I'm glad that I did because now as you keep getting better, I mean, there's a lot of value in being 20. Um, but when you're 50, if you can stay fit like you're 20, you have all the things you learned as well and you can kind of make them all work. But but it is wild. It, it feels... Instagram or Twitter or any of these things feel like a natural extension of every other type of communication as long as you see it that way. I see it almost like a martial art. It just keeps evolving, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you, you say that your major would be in martial arts. I, I think you would then be a double major where your other major is in the communication of what's going on in the martial mm. arts because there's a lot of mm. people out there who – could say that they major in martial arts who couldn't mm. do a tenth of what you do in terms of making it simple for the layman to understand. Well, thank you. Um, and the, the process of trying to understand something that you're deeply curious about. So, uh, you know, with the, the breakdowns that we're talking about that I do, I've done like 800 of them over the last couple of years. And, you know, since I've been analyzing martial arts in a way where I'm trying to communicate the mysteries and secrets and, and the, the, beauty, the beauty behind it, I've been doing this now since about, I don't know, 10 years or, or going on 10 years. And I've done thousands of them. And the process of continuing to study and peel layers as you do it, you have to make sense of it. And making sense of it for yourself often requires you to simplify ideas, simplify, 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 until you understand them, and then you study them in more detail. So it's simplification, gather more complexity. Simplify again, gather more complexity until you can simplify it. And that act allowed me to understand it in such a way, but it also allowed me to explain it in such a way. I mean, you read, you read anybody who's spent their life trying to share ideas, I mean, Einstein, like anybody, Aristotle, like anybody, they all will tell you if you can't, and, and this was Einstein's saying, but they've all had some way of saying, if you can't explain it to your grandmother or a seven-year-old, you don't really understand it. Yeah. They've all, they've all kind of said that. And, and there's truth to that. If it sounds, if you want yourself to sound brilliant, you're not going to sound brilliant. You want yourself to sound so simple that people go, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> of course that that makes sense like you want people to feel like they already knew the stuff that you're showing them almost to the point that some percentage of the later adopters will 
you know, just d- dismiss it as if they've already known it. And that's good. You want that. It's funny you say that because that's, that's very much the, the communication that I teach to our clients Ooh. who are looking to help people get out of pain or train more efficiently because it's they they a lot of them believe that it's about the education that they have and how smart they can sound and i'm like they don't care about a creatine phosphate energy cycle they care about what can you do for five seconds (laughs) right and and that's all you have to tell them yeah so and and every now and again a really neat little tidbit can be interesting to some percentage of people but my back hurts it matters to me a lot more than talking about the biochemistry of my back. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so. So what, what I would love to do is go back in time a little bit because I think that you have a fascinating story. And for those people who don't know it, I would love to start to unpack the, the mindset around each of kind of your pivotal moments, if you will. Mm, okay. You know, so I, I've been doing my research about you a little bit before we got on this podcast for the last few days. And I was blown away to find out that at the age of 36, you were like, you know what? I'm not into this rock and roll lifestyle anymore. No more drugs. I'm going to become a professional fighter. I'm 35 and I get this shit beat out of me every single day that I go train. The thought of being a professional fighter never crossed my mind. Yeah. There's, there's a certain amount I mean, I feel very sort of fortunate to be kind of sitting in my own place. This is my own studio over here, and I build my own stuff, and I travel around the world. I'm going to Myanmar to commentate fighting. Like, it's all kind of worked out. And in a lot of cases, it's it's some amount of mapping out your life and looking at what I could accomplish in a short time and in a medium time and a long time. But a certain other amount is good fortune and some luck and 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 – because I think that some, I lived very recklessly. So I, I sung in a rock band from the time I was like sort of 20-ish until like you said, my mid thirties. And I lived, I was a very reckless risk taker, you know. Um, I just felt sort of strangely indestructible, which of course we're not, right? That's, that's sort of, so to take a lot of drugs and travel the world and drink beer for breakfast and eat terrible food all day and, and throw yourself around on stage into crowds and all these things that you do when you're in a rock band, uh, or at least I did when I was in a rock band, uh, that reckless thinking led me to sort of an almost irrational belief that I could become a, a fighter. And really the ultimate belief was that I would become a commentator. Really, what I wanted to do was commentate martial arts. I, I understood language and I understood entertaining people and I loved martial arts. And I truly on some, on, there were a number of forks happening, but on some level, I knew there was no way that people in, mar- in, the mar- in fighting in the UFC and mar- the martial arts world would ever accept a guy who wore eye makeup and leather pants and had blue hair sticking out all over, who played a sort of an over-the-top arrogant Alice Cooper kind of character would ever let that guy commentate. So I figured I should fight. But as I, as I gathered that idea, the goal of it, the mountain of it was so appealing. Like it was so the the challenge of it, the impossibility of it was so appealing to me. Like, um, and I think I also, you know, some of it again is some good fortune and like who, who were you born to? Where were you born? What year were you born in? Who were your parents? My parents really told me I could do whatever I wanted. And I believed them. You know, I believed them. 
Do you remember those conversations as a kid where your parents would tell you you could do whatever you wanted? Very, very vividly. It's, you know, you know how if we have a conversation, what was your life like when you were five? Or, you know, what were you like in grade six? You can think of like eight things. That's just how our memories work. You know, we certainly can't think of from five to 13, we can't process you know, eight years. So we have little fragments of memory and, and some of the, a very large amount of those fragments for me was my, you know, the, the belief that you could be anything you wanted to be. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be the first man on, on Mars. So I was born in 1969 and, and people had just landed on the moon, like, you know, in the 10 days before I was born. So by the time I'm four and five and six, this is still very vivid. I'm a kid and my first obsession was space planets, you know, and I wanted to, I couldn't be the first man on moon, the moon that had already happened. I wanted to be the first man on Mars. And my father, at a, as when I was a little kid, he didn't say, well, good for you. You can do it. Or, well, you can never do it. He sat me down and he explained to me what the route would be that you could become a pilot or you be, could become a scientist. And then you would go through. And if you achieve these things with specializing chemistry or physics or the things that would do that, and then you would keep going and you'd work for NASA. And he literally walked me through it. And as a little kid, it's not just your mom saying, don't worry, son, you can be whatever you want. You start to understand process. Like if these are bite-sized chunks, step, step after step after step. Being the first man on Mars is impossible. But learning science and then going to university and then working really hard and maybe getting a degree and then from there, you know, uh, ex yeah, being um, uh, uh, being very successful at that and then applying for NASA and then getting turned down and then applying again. And then, you know, and, and those things are all possible one at a time. And so I understood that from a very young age. So when I was, you know, I had a. a um, I was traveling in in Europe and it was our last tour and I really we were living very unhealthy and I had a seizure um, on the stranger's couch and when I came back and, and went to the doctor and he said change your life I was just like if I'm going to change my life I'm gonna really do what I really want to do and commentating sitting next to a cage commentating martial arts seemed impossible when you're sitting there you've just had a seizure and you're you know, immediate, a, a D-list singer and a, and a small rock band from Canada. But when I broke it down in that same systematic way that my father broke down being the first man on Mars, it seemed possible. And so I just started. So there's so much that I want to ask you from that story. Do, do you remember being competitive as a young kid too? Because I ask you that because you didn't say I want to go to Mars. You said I want to be the first mm. person on <laughs> Mars, which, which is like a race yeah. that you wanted to win. Yeah. Mm. So weirdly, no, uh, not with other people, kind of. I was very much always an achiever, but I wasn't particularly competitive. I never saw somebody else doing well as somehow being in conflict with me doing well. And to this day, you know, at different times you have that because we're all humans and that's, that's a bit of a, something we have in us for whatever reasons, cultural too. I mean, um, capitalism is, is innately competitive. So we're taught a little bit by our uh, culture and our society to be that way. So it's hard to resist, but it's not, at the root, even when I was fighting, I didn't want to really beat that guy. I just wanted to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and win required me defeating him. Uh, I never thought about 
the opponent really ever. So yeah, that's interesting. That's a really interesting question you asked me because I think it was just somewhere along the lines, I could see that setting your goals extraordinarily high didn't feel insane to me, but it wasn't about, I never thought of it as the other 900, you know, or the other 6,300 people who also wanted to be there at every stage. I never really thought about them. It was just set your goals high and work towards it. Okay, listen, if you're a gym owner or a coach and you want to help people the way that we help people at Active Life, we want to talk. Head to ActiveLifeProfessional.com. ActiveLifeProfessional.com. We're helping hundreds of coaches from around the world get better results for their clients, helping them help people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. And the gyms who are adopting the strategies that we're teaching their coaches are finding that their members are happier, they're retaining longer, and they're happy to pay more money. That's a win for everybody. If you're a coach or a gym owner and you're interested in finding out more about the Active Life Professional Path, head to activelifeprofessional.com. So I'm curious, do you think that, let's say you're, you're, you're 19, 20, 22 years old, and you're on the path to be the first person on Mars, and then someone else goes to Mars, mm. would you amend your goal? Would you start looking at, okay, well, I guess now we're looking at uh, Mercury or yeah. Venus? Yeah, yes. So uh, that was a kid's, you know, if that had gone that way, I'm sure that I would be a different person because, you know, as a kid, that's your first goal dream. But then later you have all these other dreams. And so there wasn't a, there was a series of amending all the way through, but yes, actually. And that I really, that's another really interesting point year, only a few years ago when people asked me what my goal was and bear in mind, you know, like my goal at the time, I said, I want to commentate the UFC. And in fact, when I started on this path, that was the goal. But I don't think it is the goal anymore. And I think it was a I think it was an incorrect goal. It was an unfocused goal. It it the goal should be to to do the greatest work possible, to learn as much as possible, to to um, to, uh, you know, become your potential to reach whatever you can, you know, to actualize yourself to what you can be if you do that. The most logical thing will fall into place. Commentating the UFC is a is a process of get good enough to convince a human being at a certain level of management or executive level to hire you for a job, and that's not that those those are illogical goals because you can't control those people. And in fact, there was a point. I sat so the UFC is owned uh, run by a guy named Dana White uh, who. Uh, I sat in his office and walked through, you know, a particular scenarios. He got very excited and he said, we're going to hire you. We're going to move you and your wife to California where you're going to work uh, every week on this show called UFC Tonight. And then we're going to use you on all our pre and post shows. Uh, Craig, go introduce him to my, uh, our other partners. Welcome aboard. You'll have a contract in four days. That was five and a half years ago. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and the reason for that, quite simply, is 
I can't actually control any of those variables. You have no influence on that. So a person can change his mind or in, in my case, something shifted in the corporate structure with their partnership for television. It was just something well beyond your control. After that point, you're now in a system where other human beings are making decisions and they have their own, their own um, sort of goals and objectives. They want to hire somebody else for some of the, all of a sudden, these are not achievable goals anymore. Your goals are suddenly start to shift. And I learned this when I played in a rock band, people would be like, my goal is to get signed to a record deal. That's not a logical goal. Get signed to a record deal or commentate the UFC. These are not logical goals. Logical goals are to become so good at what you do, become truly break through different plateaus, achieve your real potential, you know, uh, do great work, get better every day. These are goals that make sense now. So I've since amended my goals. Those are my goals. Also bear in mind, by the time the process of a goal like be the first man on Mars, like you said, somebody else may have already got there and you were only 21 years old and you weren't in a position. Or in, in my case, what if the UFC is not the most appealing place anymore? What if there's other wonderful martial arts shows that do that speak to you in different ways? There's a million things that change. So the goal, my goals have amended now. And since that point, I've done better work and I've, I think more people have been moved and seen meaning in the work that I do because the work, the goal literally is achieve my maximum potentialities and actualize my real potential. And uh, that simplification of the goal, I think, has, has really, really opened up the most maximum. Because think about it. You get to the very end where you're sitting in a guy's office and they're saying you're about to achieve your goal and, you, and something goes wrong and you don't. You could get upset, but really, you were, you know, 10 years earlier, didn't even, uh, weren't even training martial arts. And then you trained, and then you competed, and then you fought, and then you won, and then you got the first job, and then you got the second job, then you achieved something, then you improved. All of these steps can all be done. And then you get to a point where there are other humans' influences, and you, you, you can't control other people. You can't control other people. And so realizing that, I think, has been very, it's added a lot of serenity to me being able to do the work that I like to do. Robin, were you emotionally resilient enough at the time of the meeting with Dana White to have this perspective? Or was there kind of like this high where you walked out with your wife and you're like, this is it? Yeah. Actually, so I learned a lot from this process. I did exactly that. I did exactly that. And then I waited by the phone for four days and then five days and then eight days. I would have it by my, when I would shower and I think I heard right, it right. and then something changed. And, and actually what it did is this, this process helped. And again, all of these things, you got to be thankful for whatever happens because they shape you. Had that worked out that way, I wouldn't be as, I don't think I would be as happy. I don't think I'd be as good at what I do. I don't think I would find the joy in what I do. I don't think I'd have the freedom that I have now had that, the goal, the big achievement worked out. But I did, I definitely like got emo. We were talking about this earlier, you know, something bad happens and, and you can either have that bad thing happening or have it happen and be emotionally a wreck. I was emotionally a wreck for a long time. I was, I took it personally, even though it wasn't personal, it was unrelated business. I was, uh, it felt disastrous instead of just a fork in the road. Uh, but it taught me a great deal. I, I now am a much happier person in the world. And, I'm, and I believe five years later, I'm in a better place and I'm a better human being and I'm a happier human being because of that fork. But there was a lot of emotional heavy lifting. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of um, 
turmoil. You know, I thought the world had fucked me somehow. Sure. And really it didn't. It didn't. It just, things went the way they went. But these, these challenges and setbacks and fears and failures and anxieties, they're painful, but they're really important. Yeah, and I, I've, I've been in similar situations. And, and then the thought that always crossed my mind in those situations, at least certainly when I was less emotionally aware and definitely was less emotionally resilient, was I'll fucking show them. Exactly. So yeah. did you, did you find that there was some level of like almost like okay now I have somebody to go up against that drove you? Yes, and uh, I don't know that I'm proud of that at all. Oh, I'm not- but I also don't know that it's rare. No, um, I'm you and I are not Michael Jordan, but I, there is a famous Michael Jordan like. Um, getting, you know, some award for a lifetime achievement or something. And while he's up there, he makes reference to some people who screwed him in like college. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And and you know what I mean? This isn't good necessarily, but it's not all that rare to have what what's happening is if you are lucky enough that something matters to you so deeply, something is so important to you uh, and has so much meaning to you that it throws you that way. You're lucky to have that, but the result of the emotional turmoil, you're not lucky to have that, but you're lucky to care about something so much. And that, uh, and that's kind of Michael Jordan in that situation or people, high achievers, which we hope to be high achievers on some level as we go through life. This isn't rare, um, but even to this day, there's some amount of because what happens when you when that happens is a, a, a natural reaction is the good side is you know what I won't worry about it. This isn't my business, which is the best way to look at it. Is somebody the things you cannot control are not your business. Um, I have a very close friend, David Mullins, uh, and he is a sports psychology consultant. And he literally, when he sits down with his athletes and people he works with, performance people he works with, the very first thing that they start to do is is categorize most things in life as within my control or not within my control. If they are not within my control, they are literally none of my business. And if they are, we're going to work on them. We're going to develop towards them. We're going to do the things we can. And you, you do that. So if you're highly evolved, more highly than I was in that situation, and it sounds like you were in a similar situation, you would say, none of my business. I'm just going to move on and control the things I can, which is get better every day, uh, improve my skills, learn, do the work, um, do what makes me happy, et cetera. But if you're not quite as evolved, you say, well, you know what? I'll fucking show them. And uh, – I'll make it so undeniable. The problem with that route, and I've I've done it. I have done it. One of the problems with that route is it's you're, it's a negative motivation, which can still work, but it isn't as good. But it also creates, on some level, what you're hoping to do. Uh, and this is not again not not something to be proud of. You're hoping to prove them wrong, thus embarrassing them for that choice. And when you try to embarrass other good human beings, you're not doing something good. Uh, so these are all lessons you learn in these processes, right? Like nothing's easy. Anybody, nothing is ever easy. Uh, but if you go through them and you do the emotional labor, it'll it'll start to work out. Yeah, you 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 unpack that really well. I. I used to be very much in the same vein of like, oh, really? You don't think it's a good idea? I'll fucking show you. Yeah. You don't want to be a part of it? I'll show you that you were yeah. wrong. Yeah. And then, like you were saying, it becomes a, a pursuit of something negative, mm-hmm. which carries with it a toxic energy, which makes you less pleasurable to be around. It makes the entire thing unsustainable. So, it's true. 
what was your inflection point where you were like, you know what? The reason why I don't have the job is totally outside of my control, but what's inside of my control is making myself undeniably worth hiring if somebody ever has a job like this available and creating opportunities for myself. What was your inflection point that allowed that to happen? And if I can ask a second question at the same Uh time, how did you avoid the frustration of just doing the work and having faith in the outcome? Um. Yeah, those two things are deeply connected, I think. Um, but again, there's a certain amount of, and, and this, there's people that are 21 that are watching this conversation being like, something is unfair, or you know, why does it not work out this way? And when you, the way I want it to, and when you contextualize your journey, if you're fortunate enough to get to 50 or 60 or 70 and be healthy enough to do that, in that time, the world's gonna change in such a way. So you will get better. You will learn things. You will become a little more adaptive, a little happier, a little more content in the world, and the world itself will change. And those two things, finally in my 40s, kind of started to come together. The, the improvements I had made with the way I see the universe came at the same time as it. you asked what I would do to create value for somebody else who had that job. I never even thought of that in, in the last few years. I started to see the world as like, wait a second, I don't need jobs. Like the idea of jobs, the idea of a of you know a, of being hired or chosen by somebody. I think that's the best way to put it. And again, this lesson partly I learned when I was in a band. We wanted to like have the A and R rep at the record company choose you as somebody to invest money in to build a record and put you on tour and stuff. And that just didn't make sense at the time. And even in the early days, we were building an audience that cared about us. Uh, and the focus should be on them. But now you don't need to find somebody to choose you to hire you to like, you know, have a TV job to talk about fighting or to like, you know, sell Ninja Turtles collectibles or to start a podcast. You just choose yourself. And I think the, the world that became realistic at, at in conjunction with me starting to understand that this was a better route, that you could look at the world and go, wait a second. I don't need somebody to choose me. I don't need somebody to say you're hired. I don't, and I still get, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to interact with a lot of people and I get a fair amount of people weekly for sure. Sometimes daily say, I want to get into X. How should I do it? And my answer is always start it. And that, that became possible in the last number of years. So I started to, I knew when in doubt, when totally in doubt, if I made another piece of analysis, a, a number of things would happen. I'd be happy because I'd be doing something that that I find deep meaning in. I'd be learning something and getting better at something. And that in and of itself was valuable. And if I kept doing it, eventually people would see it and like it and I'd get better. And it just, it, it simplified to the point that if I make 500 breakdowns this year, at the end of this year, I will have accomplished more than if I applied for 500 jobs. And And it's been true. That's very cool. That's very cool. So at a certain point, though, you need to make money, yes? Yeah. So how do you Mm -hmm. reconcile those two mindsets? I'm just going to be great. I'm not worried about somebody hiring me. But my Instagram account isn't – like no one's one's paying money to watch a one-minute breakdown. Yeah. They're going to be free forever. Those will be free forever. So no one's ever going to pay money for that. That's a a bink right there. 
Yeah. They'll be free. They'll be free to people forever. So again, it's, it's, a, it's easy to say now for me to say, you don't think about the money, you follow the quality and you fo- if something works and, and you're bringing value to people and they like it, you follow that. It's easy to say now. But uh, so my path, that five years ago moment happened as I had a job, a well-paying job at a 24-hour television channel, talking about fighting all day. It was, it was a Canadian channel, but we were getting big on the internet. At that time, there was the old, the older level television executives didn't, un- they didn't recognize how massively we were growing digitally. We were like, and we, some of us did, and some of us got excited by that. And two years ago, doesn't sound like a long time ago, but people didn't understand how big that, you know, you, you go to Starbucks, everybody is doing this. Nobody's watching, you know, uh, old school TV. They're not listening to the radio. They're, they're doing this. Uh, if you understood that, we were getting big. And just as that was happening, they actually cut our department. It's hysterical in retrospect. And I don't mean that to be negative, but to, to in 2016 or 2017, to cut a, a digital creation department is pretty crazy. Like you should be cutting executives or cutting something for keeping the digital, but they cut us. So two years ago, I lost my job. And that other sort of route of going in through, uh, you know, to work for the UFC, which years back was my dream job, that wasn't there. And in fact, at almost the exact same time that my my 24-hour TV channel, fight channel, well-paying TV job collapsed, the UFC, I was still doing work for them, but it was through an old contract with their old company and they got sold. So suddenly I I had no job. I had 4,000 Instagram followers. This is about two years ago. I had 4,000 Instagram followers and I had almost nothing. And we had just bought a house. And my wife was working and I was in the kitchen every day. And I had a few jobs. So I did I had a little TV contract here and a small commentary gig there. But it was going to add up to maybe 20 or 10, 10% of what I can you know, bring in now, two years later. And suddenly I'm looking going, holy shit. If I don't do something right now, over time... I will disappear because the places where people are consuming stuff, I can sit in my kitchen, in my small town, in my house alone, telling the world I'm the best commentator or nobody analyzes martial arts like me. But if nobody sees it, I don't exist. And I suddenly thought, sat there and I was like, holy shit, what do I do? I didn't know how to edit video. I had never done anything because I made videos like I do now at my old channel, but there was two cameramen two editors, a producer, a director, they'd light it, they'd do everything. And a guy edited it for me and then I would just talk about it. I didn't know how to do any of that. I went and I bought an iPad and I Googled, I went on YouTube and I said, how to edit video. And I found like a 12 year old girl who taught you the basics of editing <laughs> videos. And then I found some you know, different ways to be able to draw and freeze. And I just taught myself. And then I started. In the second I made 10 of them, I understood through experience that this was it. Now I could do it. And I grew my Instagram, which was my main platform, from four or 5,000 followers to 100,000 in 16 months. I made 500 videos. I got better every day. And, and you talk about undeniable. In the time that you make 500, somebody who is working somewhere, you know, employed in a role, will make 11. It, it, logistically speaking, you should be able to get better by 
learning everything necessary to make 500 of something than if you worked in a place doing one tenth of the work making 11 a year. And so I understood that this would do it. And the better it did, the more other work I got. So somebody else hired me to commentate and then somebody else brought me in. And then eventually you're doing these one minute breakdowns and large digital companies like DAZN, who has sports uh, rights, are saying, why don't you come and cover our events? Do your own thing. Don't don't let us tell you what to do. Just come out, sit cage side and, and do your thing. Here's some money. Here's some travel. Go do your thing. And all of a sudden, the whole fucking thing made sense. And they were young and smart enough to go, if we tell this guy what to make or we tell him to make it a certain way, his audience won't like it. His audience likes what he makes and he likes what he makes and together they enjoy it. Just just turn them loose and let them do it. And now that's what I get to do and it all made sense. And now it seems simple, but at 18 months ago, I was terrified. I, I literally, I was terrified. I remember days and weeks where the panic started to hit me. I'm like, what am I gonna do? This could be the end of doing this for a living. And the only answers I could come up with was learn everything yourself. That was the, there was the only answers I could come up with. And, and so I did it. I'm very proud to say that. You should be proud. You've done an awesome job. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Now, Thank how, you. how much of your experience being in a dog fight, well, a human fight, yeah, um, on multiple planned occasions, paid off in your ability to, to you know, rhetorically i guess fight not rhetorically it's the wrong word but Uh, whatever uh metaphorically thank you yes metaphorically fight through this because you know one of the articles i was reading about your background was when you talked about being you know you're you're in your first fight and then you look over to the side and you're like why is there blood on the floor hey why am i on the floor oh i'm getting (laughs) punched in the face that's really how it felt honestly you know the feeling when somebody wakes you up and you have no idea where you are? Yes. It felt like that as I was being punched. And my brain very quickly was like, I heard the crowd screaming. Like, it was as if I was awakened from a deep sleep and I was in the fight. So everything that led up from the back, preparing, walking, ceased to exist. I mean, I remember it now, but ceased to exist in that moment. I was just in a fight. Truthfully, I was prepared, but it was also some amount of just, I mean... I'll I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on this in a second, but I just fought and I fought my hardest and I continued to fight for seven minutes. I did lose that fight, but I was so proud after that I fought through it. I took a lot of abuse too. Um, But truthfully, I didn't, I fought nine times and I didn't have that reaction every time. Sometimes I, you know, there were times where, you know, I folded. You know, it, it's painful to, to admit it, that you couldn't get more out of yourself. And some, you know, it's less painful over time when you realize that, again, you know, at the point where somebody is choking you and you give up, could you have gone on for 20 more seconds? Is there something else you could do? You want to believe you can. You, you're frustrated that you had to tap out. You know, uh, you're frustrated that, that you failed. Um, but those are just as important. Um, because what's the difference? And, and this, this is my belief. Over time, analyzing many thousands of fights, I've commentated 600 shows, and I've done you know th- over well over a thousand breakdowns. So we're we're into you know tens of thousands of fights. Um, is that what's happening? Is this is sort of the thesis? The brain will perform 
the way it's been programmed to perform, if you are in an optimal state of focus and arousal, okay, that's the simplest truth of what's happening. When we, when, when people watch fights, sometimes they'll say this happened and then he saw that and he decided to do this. And here he's thinking about uh, considering none of that is true. The brain, uh, if I say to you, what's two plus two, you'll say four. And if I say what's 263 times 14, you, you don't know, but you, you, you could process that. Yeah. You could do the math and figure it out. And if you were training to be a math, a fast math guy, over time, you could answer that like two plus two. That's what fighting is. It's training you to make the complex mechanisms happen instantly. Uh, if you read um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, it's a brilliant book. It talks about two different ways that, two prime ways that we do things. We do not decide to either fight on or not fight on. The decision's been made for us in the preparation in the lead up and in the state that we're in at the time. So what you start to realize is it is all about preparation. Nobody is mentally tough, nobody. Nobody is you know, able to walk through the fire. Nobody, these aren't inher inherent human traits. They're preparation driven in the preparation, the tests, the slowly acclimatizing yourself to these challenges, you become um, anti-fragile. You become stronger than, than, you, you know, than whatever is pressing you. It's like the calluses on a bass player's hand. This is how you train your, yourself. And so it's all preparation-based. And so when you have these tests later, if you don't live up to them, that's okay. It's part of the preparation for when you're going to handle them in the future. Nobody can just handle their way through shit. You learn to do it over time. That's why a, a, there's a, a bigger value now in being older. That's why patience actually pays off because if you've failed enough times or had enough setbacks or almost done it or pushed yourself and then cracked enough times in your life, later on, you'll be able to handle these things. Um, so it's, God, it's all... It all is just like training martial arts. Like now as you're training martial arts, you'll be like, well, this reminds me of when I was you know, training to be a doctor. And this reminds me of when I became a father. And this, But later, you, do, you see the opposite. Martial arts is like everything else. And everything else is like martial arts. And all these paradigms combine. It's about working harder, preparing yourself, constant improvement, you know, acclimatizing yourself to the things that you're going to deal with, setbacks. Uh, overcoming them, training the process. The process. Uh, I recently saw somebody say, you know, don't worry about what you're thinking. Look at how you're thinking, and that's kind of true of everything. It's not what you're. It's not what punch you're throwing. It's how you're you're macroing the fight. It's 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 a. Uh, all of these things carry over to everything else. Yeah, one of my coaches used to tell me it's not so important what you're thinking about. It's thinking about what you're thinking about, you know, mm -hmm. what, 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 why did you decide to think about that? And, and why did you decide to have that reaction to that thought? Is that that's most, something to investigate? Big time. Most people don't do that and not because there's anything wrong with them. It's just, you know, I, I spent some time in Singapore, in Singapore, in the schools, they teach empathy. One second. My, uh, I apologize. Don't worry about you, it. I'll, I'll explain in a second. <laughs> I have a third, I have a 13 year old dog. And uh, he, he has trained me that when he wants to jump on the bed, although he's capable of jumping on it, 
I have to go watch him do it. It's, it's a complete <laughs> ridiculous thing. I like he completely runs me. I could teach this out of him, but for some reason, that little adorable little creature of a lamb, I've just accepted it. But so in Singapore, they teach you empathy as a child. That's part of your education. You learn about empathy. Cool. You learn about um, mindfulness. You learn about these things, but we're not taught that here. So most of us don't ever sit there. And when we get mad in traffic in an extreme example, or when we snap at something, or when we do something good, we don't sit there and look at ourselves and imagine that we're watching animals in a cage with a little note. We go, oh, he seemed to get agitated when this happened. Oh, he seemed to find joy in this. We can do that. In fact, we, if we do that 10 minutes a day, our life will improve dramatically immediately. Yeah, it's you crazy. Know, it will. It will. Uh, for some reason, this just isn't taught in schools. To, and so... We talked about focus for a second when you're in a fight. There's different kinds of focus, internal, external, and executive. Executive focus, I believe, is focusing on what you're focusing on, right? You know, external is like we're focusing on all kinds of things. Internal is whatever is happening. And executive is focusing on what we're focusing on. Executive study of ourselves, studying, you know, our thinking, thinking about our thinking, wondering why we do these things. Uh, you know, meditation teaches us to do this to, to a certain degree, just mindfulness. What am I doing? I wonder why I did that. Just doing that makes your life significantly better. Um, and there's so many little things when you see people that seem really stressed. You see somebody being angry on the internet and seeming to not have control of their emotions. And you're like, just a little better food, a slight bit of exercise, a tiny bit of meditation, and then sort of gently looking at yourself and wondering why you do the things you do and just noting them, that will make almost everybody's life better. But for some reason, we're, we're not taught that or it's not available to a lot of people. I, I think it is more now because of things like podcasts and things like, you know, information, real information, real conversations are being had and people get, get exposed to them. I think the information is there. It's the application that still lacks. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, oh, that would be a good idea. Someone could probably do that. It's like, no, you yeah. could do it. You just have yeah, to fucking do true. it. So it's- I, I have a question for you that I feel like I'm, I might be reaching, so just slap me into my mm-hmm. place if I am. Um, you go from being a rock star to yeah. being a fighter to yeah. being a commentator. To me, all three of those things have a common thread, which is attention. There's a lot mm-hmm. of attention on all three of those things. Yeah, I imagine that in the space between being a rock star and being a fighter, you went from having positive attention mm-hmm. to being, dude, you could never do that from one audience. And dude, you're, you don't belong here from the other. Mm-hmm. And, and you, were, you were discussing before that the preparation leads to the way you handle a situation. Mm. How do you prepare for that kind of isolation? Or am I just totally amiss mm. and it wasn't there? No, no, you're 100% correct. With, like, I'm actually, I, you know, when you're sitting around sometimes and you're grateful for whatever you have, whatever good things are going on in your life, I'm incredibly grateful that, like, I, in fact, it's shocking. It's the, the most meaningful thing to me that, fighters and people coaches and all these people like that are deep in martial arts come up to me and they thank me for for my love of it and sharing these things and they they give me such honest compliments about my study of martial arts and philosophy and stuff and it's just so moving 
And it is shocking to think back that nobody, like the, at least from a percentage, very close to nobody in the small worlds of message boards and whatever the internet was around at the time, I was not welcome. I was not welcome. They wanted to see me get the, the, the shit beat out of me. They wanted to see me fail out and go back to wherever I came from. And to change that over time is really, it's really an, an incredible feeling. But um, now the only people, the, the only people that I ever receive negativity from are like the distant sort of um, spectators of life, the people who aren't kind of living their lives. Uh, fighters, coaches, um, commentators, trainers, people in the business are very complimentary to me. But yes, that time, so the root of it, of making my way through that amount of unwelcome and, and being hated and mocked and negativity, there's a couple of things about it. One is it was an incredibly valuable thing to go through because now if some some kid on the internet says, you suck, Robin Black, it's meaningless. <laughs> it's meaningless to me, right? It's meaningless. Uh, if anything, if it attracts my attention, I truly will have moments where I'm like, I feel for people like mm -hmm. that. They, they think the world is so unfair and unforgiving and they can't sort their way through it. And so they get mad and they, and they're, they, they get frustrated by seeing people living life because they think it's unfair. They don't know they could do it. Right. So I feel for them, but, but the main thing that made that work and also made me thankful for that experience was it was acceptance. I truly accepted the reality that this would be so. And to a certain degree at that time, now I see it also as judgment. People saying this guy is this because I saw this, so he must be that. But at the time I accepted it and I thought as a lover of martial arts, a lifelong lover of martial arts, if I was in that world and I saw some guy wearing eye makeup and feather boas come in here and say, I want to be involved in, in MMA, you know, which at the time was very hot. Um, I would have been suspicious too and been like, oh God, this guy's using our world to benefit himself and to get attention. And so I would have been mad too. Uh, so I just accepted it. I accepted that factually speak. And I also patience somehow is maybe my first time understanding patience. Factually speaking, they would hate me for many years. And the answer to it would be to contribute real good, honest, genuine work to really truly give some quality and give some. And if I did that, eventually they would accept and I was right. I was right over it. Now, I mean, like, so my, you know, my Instagram was taken down uh, due to a copyright in, uh, infringement and I'm getting messages and I'm getting like people recommending to follow my stuff from world champion fighters, world champion fighters, like UFC champions, masters of their field, the greatest coaches in the world, you know, the greatest commentator. And these people are saying this guy's work is meaningful to our space. And, and to get there from where I was is really, it's really an unbelievable thing. I, I, before, I mean, I, I would just say that I agree with everything you just said from a meaningful perspective and it's not, I'm new to the martial arts world, right? I've watched it. I've watched UFC since UFC one. And it's like, yeah, okay. I could, I could probably throw somebody into a guillotine if they put their head in my armpit and allowed it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's just like, it, it's meaningful work to me from just the excellence of it. 
And I mean, like, it's, it doesn't matter if you're looking to show off workout routines on Instagram or, or model bathing suits or give mothering advice. Like when you look at your account, it's very clear that those one minute breakdowns take much more than one minute to produce and took years to be able to produce and however long they take to produce now. So it's meaningful to an entire culture more so than just martial arts to me. Well, that that's such a compliment and it really does mean a lot to me. And I'm just like, I'm so thankful that that comes across because when you really think about like when I think about it, I'm only now doing kind of what everything was built towards doing. You know, singing in a rock band was about, you were writing words, you were writing language, you were building intonation, tone and sound to your voice. Performing was understanding how to be able to do it in such a way that you could gather people's attention enough to show them something of value. You know, directing and being in music videos was understanding these things, fighting in a cage and studying martial arts, all of it, you know, then under, then learning about how the world changes and how technology changes. And, uh, you know, I studied, I took a year of physical education. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to university, but I had to, my parents said, you have to go. So I studied physical education. I've studied (laughs) art and science and music and, and all of it now comes together in 2019 in a time where I have this, the tools are finally available for all of the weird shit I've spent my whole life learning and then un- learning about effort and improvement and commitment and and patience and all of it. And now it comes together at a point where I'm like, people like my work and I make a living doing what I love doing. And it's just, it's really, the fact that you can see that, that, I mean, I, I honestly, if I get a chance, if people ask me about the process, what I would love for people to be able to offer is that if you're not sure about something, but it's something you love, just do 500 more of them. And doing 500 more of them, you will improve. And if you're not enough, then you need some feedback and you need to study the, the, the paradigms outside of how improvement happens. And if that's not enough, do 500 more of them. And if that's not enough, do 500 more. But in the world we live in now, if you do that and eventually you're good, when you're good, people will support it. And if they support it, you'll have a living and you'll your living will be made of doing shit you like doing. So uh, it sounds simple because it's simple. But it's not easy because it's easy if you the thing you're doing is what you love to do every day. Mm-hmm. If it's not, then it's not going to be easy, and you'll probably give up because you gotta. It's going to be twelve hours a day of of learning, improving, and doing. But if you find the thing you love, then fuck, you're doing the thing you love for twelve hours a day, which is the whole point. Yeah. So, Robin, not only does it come through, but I'll, I'll be a little bit transparent with you. Um, I was more nervous for this podcast with you than I've been on any podcast that I've done. And I've had some some fucking stars on the show and I've been on some big shows myself because I can see the level of preparation that you put into what you do. And I wanted to make sure that I was at least in a minimum providing you with the clarity that this yeah. was an important hour for me and that I put some preparation into it. Yeah. So I hope that yeah, that came across. It, it, it really did. And I'm really glad that we got to hang out. It's such an incredible compliment. Like, you know, I feel like right this minute, and there's a lot of, of you know, things coming together, but right this minute, I'm, I, you know, 
it's a real it's a real good time to just be doing this stuff but it also urges me on like the whole point is to keep a white belt mentality to everything like the only way you can get a bit better at anything is be pretty sure you don't know much about it and that'll be true if you continue to improve that five years from now uh you are way better so i truly sit there and and will remind myself take in the the, the compliments and feel them and be grateful for them. But I remind myself that if I do shit right, if I do it right, five years from now, I'll look at the things I know right now and be like, holy shit, I can't believe how little I knew. And that's the goal. That is, that's the goal now. You asked about changing your goals. That to me is the goal, is five years from now to look back to where I am and go, I didn't know much about life. I didn't know much about the philosophy of living. I didn't know much about martial arts. I didn't know much about technology. I didn't know much about about communication compared to where I am now. And if that's the case, then shit, that'll be even more exciting five years from now. And, and, that, and that's, what, that's what we should all be doing. And I think we can all do that. It's, you know, all we have to do is, as much as somebody might give you a nice compliment, is realize I just don't know shit compared to what is possible to be known. And you remind yourself of that, and it's an unlimited game of learning all the time. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to be respectful of your time. I would talk to you for four hours. This has been great. I really appreciate everything that you contributed today. Thank you for everything. Can we circle back in like a month and do it again? I would love to do that. I'll get you, I'll get you in touch with, uh, with Sheila and we'll, we'll get that set up. Awesome. So thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words. It's my pleasure. Robin, where can people find you? I know right now it's Robin black martial arts and that's Robin with an I, and it may be by the time this comes out in a week or two, Robin black MMA, Robin with an I, they would both be there. Not one or the other. Is there anywhere else you want people finding you? So, uh, I do my one minute breakdowns. Like you said, Robin black at Robin black martial arts on, on Instagram and quite possibly at Robin black MMA. Uh, and on Twitter also, there's a lot of people that seem to, I get to share a lot of them there too, at Robin Black MMA. Um, but then the deeper ideas, so my all of my other jobs of commentating and analyzing uh, requires sometimes one in two minutes, just like the breakdowns where you got to get something across in one or two minutes. And to me, the way to to develop that skill is through long forms, long conversations like this. So I do that. I have podcasts there. If you Google or if you search Robin Black, uh, there'll be a, my podcast will be available on all platforms and my YouTube is, uh, youtube.com slash Robin black. So that's where I'll explore an hour long idea of what it means to take a punch just deep enough that by the time I get asked to do that on television in Canada, I can get that to a minute that, and that idea of, of continued simplification, I'm able to do through podcasts and through YouTube. So I hope people, if they like if they like our conversation, I hope they check that out. That's very cool. Awesome. Thanks, Robin. Thank, thank you, brother. I'll see you in a month. Yes, sir. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Sean again, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I got a favor to ask you. Head to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to leave us a five-star rating. Also, while you're there... Drop a little review, tell people what you liked about the show, and of course, share it with the three friends who you think would find the most benefit from this episode. Till next time, turn pro.